Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Luke chapter 9, and in verse 23 it reads, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the word of the Lord. The English theologian Arthur W. Pink once wrote, Taking up my cross means a life voluntary, voluntarily surrendered to God. And so now the wait is over. The light has turned green. It is time now to go. At so many times in our lives, we come to a place where we must finally decide. Right? We must finally take action. Because we can only live in a theoretical world for so long. At some point, we have to make decisions. At some point, we need to act on what we know. At some point, we must say, yes, I will marry you, or no, I won't. At some point, you must decide, will I look for another job, or will I not? At some point, you need to to decide, am I going to stand up for what is right, or am I going to just vanish into the background? Will you jump out of the airplane when it's time to jump, or will you cower in the door? Will you get out of bed and go face the difficult appointment that you need to face, or will you just simply keep avoiding it, hoping that it will go away? At some point, you need to do your taxes. At some point, you need to decide what's for dinner. At some point, you need to go to the doctor and find out what is actually going on with you. At some point, you need to finally... Forgive. You need to reach that point and reach out and make reconciliation. Not just talk about it, right? Not just think about it, not read more books about it, not not listen to more sermons about it, not, you know, whatever else we do to put off the inevitable. At some point, we need to do it. There comes a point in all of our lives where we need to cross over where we need to stop making excuses and we need to take action. And that's where we're going today in this series titled All In. Now, I know that we still need to fully address the where question, right? Where is the mission of Christ taking place? Specifically as it relates to global missions and how we individually fit into that. But there's one more thing we need to address before we get there. One more thing we need to talk about. The truth is, to this point, we have already talked about the fact that Jesus came to earth on a mission, and we know what that mission is. It's to save sinners. We also know that we have all been called to that mission. If you're in Christ, you were a part of that mission. In fact, that's why we were saved. God rescued us to be on mission for Christ. And we know what our part is, the part that we need to play. That's to make disciples. We are to go out into the world and share the hope of Christ with other people and help them come to faith in God and then help them to get plugged into the local body of believers so they can be taught to follow Jesus so they too can go out and make disciples. And we learn that we are uniquely equipped for this job we, because we have been saved and radically transformed into something new. We've been moved from death to life. We have been reborn. We have been 
created anew in Christ. Not to mention, life in the kingdom is radically different than the rest of the world. And we've been equipped to live that way. Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth and the the light of the world. We are the instrument that God has chosen by his wisdom and his grace to preserve what is good and right in the world around us. And we are the instrument that God is using to shine the light of, of Christ for the world to see. And then last week we talked about the fact that as part of our mission, we are called not only to talk about the hope and the love of Christ, we are called to demonstrate the hope and love of Christ. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're to meet people where they are in their place of need. We are to demonstrate the love of Christ by our actions and our words, just as Jesus did. And like I said, we still need to talk about the scope of this mission that we're called to, the the global mission of Christ. But before we get there, right? before we address that next week, We need to talk about crossing over. Crossing over from being a hearer of the word to being a a doer of the word. Not just hearing what the command says, but to to do what Christ is calling us to do with respect for his mission. Now, if you're new here, if you missed the last four weeks, you might feel like you've wandered into a conversation that's already began and you have in a sense. And in the last four weeks, we've talked about being all in on the mission of Christ, and we've covered a lot of ground, and you might feel a bit lost in some of the issues we're talking about. But the good news is we can help you with that. And that is our church website and the SoundCloud page that we have and our YouTube page all have the messages that you have missed, and you just can go back there in your own time, not in this moment, but in your own time. Listen to what you've missed, and you can get caught up. But today, I'm going to lay out for you really this issue of crossing over. In fact, let me just put my cards on the table right, and, and tell you it's time for us to, to, to take the leap. It's time for us to cross the threshold and take action. Today we stand at the precipice, at the jumping off place, and either it's time for us to jump or it's time to step away. Now, when I talk like this, I understand that this message will be received differently by different people because you're all in different places in your walk with, with Christ. Some of you are believers and you have already been serving God a long time and you are already in the process of actively making disciples. You're doing what I'm asking. Well, some of you right, are people who trust in Christ, but for whatever reason... You just have not gotten quite as involved or you're not involved at all in the process of making disciples, a process that we're all called to be a part of. While others of you may not actually be believers. You might have made a confession of faith when you were young, but you really haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior. And and so this talk about being all in for the mission of Christ might seem strange to you. And I mention this because I want you to hear the message this morning from where you are, from the perspective that you're sitting right now. I want you to let the word of God to speak to you where you are, because no matter what stage of spiritual maturity you're in, you were in right now, whether you are a brand new Christian or a veteran Christian of 50 years, God is calling every one of you, every one of us, into a deeper and deeper commitment to him. 
He is calling all of us to make a decision. He's calling all of you to take the next step in faith. And the point of today's message is to encourage you to actually do just that, to take that next step. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And one of the things that we need to realize is contextually, this scripture is found almost verbatim in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This text was important enough to each of these authors to be included in every one of those Gospels. And and that should tell us something, because every Gospel was written for its own purposes and with its own theme. As we've talked about, Matthew was written to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the King. Right? The emphasis is on Him being the King and explaining what kingdom life is to be like. And then Mark, on the other hand, is to portray Jesus as the servant of the Lord, the servant doing the job that God has sent him to do, the emphasis on what Christ did. And so Mark's gospel records more miracles than, than Matthew, uh, Luke, or John. In, in fact, if you remember, I preached the entire book of Mark, right? and it's available itself on YouTube or the, on SoundCloud. And the thing that what you can see, it's a fast-moving narrative that is about what Jesus does time and time and again, time again. The emphasis is Christ, the servant of God. And then the gospel of John was written to make clear that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's why, why John begins his gospel with, with the prologue. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, Luke was written to help people see that Jesus as a perfect man, Hence, he focuses on the events of Jesus' life that stresses his humanity. The Greeks, in their art, in their literature, in their philosophy, were always looking for the perfect man. And Luke is saying, here he is, Jesus Christ. And so with all these differences and all these different audiences and the varied purposes for writing the different gospel accounts, there are important details that get shared almost word for word amongst the gospels like today's text. And that should help you to see that this is a really important detail. Also in each of these three Gospels, this text is placed in the same historical context. Jesus has just fed the 4,000 people, demonstrating his compassion and divine power. Right? He then asks his followers, who am I? I mean, we know what the world says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus then tells his followers to keep that knowledge to themselves for the time being. And then he begins to teach that he's going to be killed at the hands of the Pharisees and be resurrected three days later. And in Matthew, in Mark's account, Peter rebukes Christ for talking about his death, telling that's not going to happen to you. And then Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And right after that, Right after that, Jesus begins to talk about what it means to really follow him. And so we have Jesus who spent three years of his life preaching the gospel, meeting people's needs. He's done incredible miracles, proving that he is from God, that he is powerful. And after this divine display of power, his followers confess him to be the long-awaited for Messiah. And after that happens, Jesus tells him he's going to die and that he will be resurrected And in light of this, he tells them and all of us, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Now, the first thing I want you to notice is the expression, if anyone would come after me. This is really an odd expression in English, if anyone would come after me. We don't, we don't talk like that, right? This is an odd expression because, because what does it mean? Well, more plainly, what it means is if anyone would follow me. If anyone would follow me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross. That's the idea, right? But there's actually more than just that. In fact, the Greek... For this part of the phrase, word for word, the translation reads like this. If anyone desires after me to come. That's how the Greek is worded. And the thing to notice here is the word desire. That's an important part of this phrase. We just kind of get lost in English. At the heart of the phrase is the word desire, the catalyst for this entire text. And what it means for us is desire. You see, what Jesus is saying is, if you desire to come after me, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone would desire to be my follower, that's the basic idea. It's about desiring to follow Christ. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because if the desire isn't there, then the rest of what he has to say is is immaterial to you. If the desire isn't there, if a person has no desire to follow Christ or be one of his followers, the rest of what he says doesn't matter. It's going to be pointless. It's irrelevant. Because it's, it's all about following Jesus. And so the catalyst is really a desire. Do you or do you not want to follow Jesus? That's the question that the reader must ask himself. Do I or do I not want to follow Christ? Do I desire to be his follower? Now, that might seem like a very silly question, but it's one that we need to ask. Because trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, ultimately is about following him. You see, believing in Jesus isn't simply about believing some facts about him. It isn't simply just intellectually acknowledging who he is and what he is. It's about actually making him the Lord of your life. As Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And when we put our faith in him, we are to follow him. That's what he told his disciples. Follow me. We're to follow where he goes and to do what he does and to go where he leads us. We're to do what he says as the natural outworking and byproduct of our faith. The Christian life is about being a Christ follower. So do I, or do I not, desire or want to follow Christ is the question. And the next question we should ask is why? Why would I want to follow Christ? Why would anyone desire to be a follower of Christ? Why would anyone want to go where he leads? If you don't know why, You can't answer, will I? But Peter gives us the answer to the question. In the Gospel of John, right? Peter tells Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The reason why they or we would come to Christ and follow him is because he is their hope. He is our hope. That's why they would follow him. That's why we will follow him. We desire to follow Christ because he, in him, is eternal life. In him is hope. The only real hope that we have. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Peter said, and there is no salvation. There is salvation in no other, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is our only hope. That's the foundational question we've got to come back to over and over and over again. Christ is the solution to our greatest problem. In Jesus is all that we need and all that we desire. Jesus is eternal life. That is why we would want or desire to follow him. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, or if anyone would desire to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, brothers and sisters, this verse is, is one that you should probably memorize because it's the heart of the matter right here. Because in this text, Jesus gives us very clear direction. He says, if anyone would come after him and desire to follow him, then let him do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. That, that's what he clearly says. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. I want you to notice how this, this text is constructed, by the way. This verse is bookended with the idea of following Christ. This is not accidental, by the way. Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, if you desire to follow me, then do just that. Follow me. If you desire to follow me, then follow me. And I'm not trying to be overly simplistic here, but, but this is really the overarching point. And I don't want you to miss this because this is so important. This is the jumping off place for us. This is the threshold we need to cross. This is where we need to make the decision to be all in. If we desire to follow Christ, if we want to be his followers, if we want to live in relationship with him, trusting him as our Lord and Savior, then we need to follow him. We need to actively go where he says to go. We need to do what he says do. We need to follow where he leads us. And you go, okay, pastor, I know that. <laughs> if you know that, then why are we doing that? It's not enough to come here on Sunday morning and sit in a chair and listen to me talk. I know that I'm interesting. I'm just kidding. I know I'm long-winded, right? Nobody said amen to that, so we'll move on. <laughs> it's not good enough for you to listen to our worship songs as you drive to town and get goosebumps so you can, as you feel the presence of God. It's not enough for you to, to like, you know, all of your Christian friends on Facebook, their posts, right? It's not enough to, for you to intellectually acknowledge the truthfulness of the gospel. It's not enough for you to, to do Bible studies and listen to sermon, uh, sermon podcasts all the time. At some point, you have to cross over the threshold and actually begin following where Jesus leads, going where he says to go, doing what he says to do. At some point in your life, you must begin to reflect the character of Christ in your life. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, right, you want to belong to me, then follow me, actively follow me. Go where I'm leading you. Don't just say that I'm with you, Jesus. Actually, be with me. Don't just hear what I say and go, all right. Yes, that's right, Jesus. No, do what I say. 
Following Jesus is your faith in action. Following Jesus is the fruit of our faith. It is your faith welling up inside of you, compelling you forward to do something. Following Jesus is going where he calls you to go as a natural byproduct of your faith. Now, I want you to hear me, and I want to be really, really, really clear. I'm not saying that you must physically do something to be saved. I'm not saying that. I would never say that. In fact, you've heard me preach many times, and I completely agree with Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For we, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so no one may boast. The truth is you cannot earn salvation by what we do. You hear me preach against legalism all of the time. Your salvation has no basis in what you do for God. It is by grace by the grace of God that you're saved. You're, it is by the work of God, the Holy Spirit, piercing your heart so that you can receive the gospel. So you're not saved by your works. But Paul says, right after verses 8 and 9, and he says in verse 10, for we his, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should do them. And, 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 and we have repeatedly said, right, you were saved, what? For a reason, for God's plan and for pur- his purpose. You weren't simply saved for you. You were saved for him and his purpose. You were saved to actively follow Christ. You were saved to go where he goes. And you were saved to do what he calls you to do. You, <clears throat> you were saved to be on mission for Christ. And your salvation manifests itself in the active pursuit of Christ. Being a Christ follower results in following Christ. That's what he's saying. If you desire to follow me, then get busy following me. Now, in between these two bookends of following Jesus, he helps us see what that looks like to follow him. He says, if you have a desire to come after me, if you want to follow me, right, here's what you need to do. Right? You're to do two things. You need to deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, this is the part that's probably good for you to take a real big deep breath. Right? Because this is one of those texts that people are going to wrestle with. Because you're going to come back to this time and time again, and you're going to wrestle with this. This is one of those parts that people don't want to think about very much. This is one of the texts that make us uncomfortable, because this is one of those texts that challenges us. And it challenges the status quo in our life. Because let's be honest, many of us Christians, we like the status quo. We like it. We We like calling ourselves Christians, but at the same time, we want to live very comfortable lives too. I mean, let's just be honest. We want to acknowledge Jesus in our lives, right? but we really don't want to make him the center of our lives. I mean, we say that we do, but if you look at the fruit of our lives, we really don't. And we say we love him, right? And we do love him, and we, and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love the fellowship and the worship, and right? we, just, we just really like being comfortable. We like having our stuff. We like... We just like our familiar relationships. We like not having to come out of our comfort zones. We like not getting our sleep interrupted. I, I mean, I really enjoy a full night's sleep. 
We like to not have our quiet time interrupted. We, we like to be able to watch our shows when we want to watch them. Right? For the younger generation, you like to play games. Right? We want to pursue our hobbies. Sometimes we just want to be left alone. And understand, those are not bad things in and of themselves. But those things tend to become the center of our lives because those things tend to be focused on us. And the one thing that we instinctively want to be in the center of our lives is what? Is us. That's what we want. But let's be honest, because I will, I'll be honest, okay? I'm naturally inclined to make me the center of my life. It's just what my nature is. Right? I always want to be included. I want things to be about me. I want to have things my way. I want to spend my time the way that I want to. I want to, I want to spend my money on the things that I want to spend it on. Right? I, want, I want to do the things that interest me. And I want to avoid all the things that I don't like doing. When I'm in a conversation, my natural default is to make it about me. When I see something happening around me, my natural question that I'm going to ask is, right, how does this affect me? When somebody tells me about their problems, my inclination is to ask, what does this have to do with me? I naturally gravitate towards making me the center of my life. And guess what? So do you, because we all do. But Jesus says, if you're going to be in relationship with me, if you want or you want to follow me, then, then that has to change. Being actively following, because actively following Jesus is going to require two things, denying yourself and taking up your cross. Denying yourself, right? And then taking up your own cross and following Jesus. But here's the thing. When you hear those things, we realize that's kind of scary. That's actually intimidating because, because that means something's got to change in me. And guess what? That's really, really inconvenient to the pattern and the plan that I have for my life. Because the truth is, these are going to cost you something. Jesus, just look at what he says. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross. These are two ideas that have huge implications for those who follow Christ. In fact, let's look at these a little bit closer. What does it mean when Jesus says to deny yourself? Now, there are people who go to one extreme and think, well, when Jesus says that, he means live a life of asceticism and, and that you need to purposely shun comfort and convenience and embrace pain and suffering. Some people believe that. Others believe that, that you need to purposely live in poverty where you literally give away everything that you have and that you just live hand to mouth and, and, and are dirt poor, shunning any kind of material possessions. Some people believe that it's denying yourself means, means to shun all pleasure and joy. That if you, that if it makes you feel good, then you're not really self-denying, you know, yourself. But is that what Jesus means? Well, praise the Lord. It's not what Jesus means. He's not talking about that. The Greek word here gets translated as deny can certainly mean to, to deny yourself severely, but it really at the heart of it, what it means is it means to say no. In other words, when you deny yourself, you're in essence saying no to yourself. That's what it means. It means to say no to you. Well, why in the world would you ever say no to yourself? Well, there are lots of good reasons to say no to yourself. Like when you have this urge to get on the uh, 15 freeway and see how fast your car can go on the freeway, that's probably a good time to say no. Right? It might be a lot of fun for the moment, but still a good time to say no. 
Or when you have this urge to go out on the weekend and buy a brand new wardrobe, even though you're broke and you think, I can put it on my credit card. That's probably a responsible time to say no to you, right? Or when we, when you experience that urge that we all have from time to time to throat punch someone for what they've done, right? That's a really, really good time to say no to you, right? Or when you want to put somebody on blast on Facebook, always a good time to say no to you. Or how about when your best friend calls and needs you, but you're just, I got my pajamas on and I'm watching Netflix and I just don't want to go out. That's a good time to say no to your selfishness and get up and go help someone. There are many times and many reasons to say no to yourself and deny yourself. And so this is not as strange as it might seem to us. We all do this at some, at some point, right? When, when it's the right thing to do, when it's in our best interests, we deny ourselves. We say no. So denying ourselves isn't really the issue then. The issue is, why does Jesus tell us to deny ourselves? Why is he saying this? Well, it's because, I mean, the truth is he's not telling us that we can't be happy. He's not telling us that we can't have some material possessions. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that you have to be dirt poor. And he's not telling us that we can't sleep in occasionally. In fact, we're encouraged to rest. Right? And it's not that we can't enjoy good food because the Bible has all kinds of examples of people feasting. Right? So he isn't telling us that we can't get angry sometimes because he's the one that made a whip and drove people out. Right? And he's not saying that we can't stand up for ourselves at certain times. He's not saying any of those things. What's he saying when he says to deny yourself? Well, the short answer is simply this. Denying yourself is setting aside your own will when it conflicts with God's will. That's what it means. It says, it, it is saying no to yourself when, when, when your will is in conflict with the will of God. Jesus is saying, when your desires and your wants and your will is in conflict with God's will, you need to say no to you. It's that simple. And, 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 and that gives us right from the beginning a baseline to operate from because on some level, you already know. God's will for your life. You do. Now you might say, I don't. I really don't. Yeah, you, you do. I mean, you might not know where God wants you to retire, right? but you know God's will for your life. You know that it's God's will for your life that you walk in personal holiness. We all know that, right? The Bible makes it clear that we're to live our lives conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And Christ is holy, so we are called to walk in personal holiness. In fact, you know, in 1 Peter 16, it says, you shall be holy for I am holy, right? Which means then your desire to look at pornography or your desire to, to do something like that is, is in conflict with God's will, right? When you willfully withhold grace and you hold on to a grudge, you need to deny yourself that because you know it's God's will for your life to forgive I mean, there are lots of things that we might desire that are not God's will for our life, like sex before marriage or moving in with your boyfriend or girlfriend or lying to your parents or taking something that doesn't belong to you or cheating on your spouse or, or acting in, on, out on some same-sex attraction. There are lots of things that are sinful and therefore not God's will for your life. And because of that, we are called to deny ourselves those things. 
anything that is sinful, anything that's destructive, anything that lacks in grace, anything that is hateful, anything that's rooted in selfishness is by definition not God's will for your life and should be denied. I think that's a good foundational understanding for us to stand on. I think we would do well to practice that. But notice Jesus doesn't stop just there. Right? He says, deny yourself, and then he says, take up your cross. Now, when Jesus says this, there was a very clear understanding of what that meant in the first century. People were not ignorant of what that meant and what Jesus was talking about. Because crucifixion was a horrible part of everyday life. In fact, the word excruciating that we use when we say excruciating pain, that word excruciating means out of the cross. It was a horrible part of life. And to carry your cross meant that you were a dead person walking. It meant that your life as you knew it was over because, because, because that was what happened. People when they were to be crucified, once they were sentenced, were forced to pick up their crossbeam and they were to carry it to the place that they would be nailed to that crossbeam, have it attached to an upright, and then be hoisted into the air. And this is the picture that Jesus is talking about. This is the picture that Jesus not only uses to foreshadow his death, but it's the illustration he uses to describe discipleship, what it means to follow him. It's the idea that Coming after Jesus involves his disciples willingly picking up and embracing their own cross. And not just a one-time thing, but every day, daily. Now, there's so much to say about this. There's a lot of different applications we can make about this. Because, because what does the cross represent? Well, first of all, it represents death. Right? Which means we should die to ourselves daily. We can spend a whole sermon on that topic by itself. It also represents suffering. The fact is, becoming a Christian is to embrace suffering on some level. If you follow Christ, you will at some point experience suffering. Jesus never promised that if you follow him, that you'll have a pain-free, problem-free life. Jesus never preached the prosperity gospel as it's heard today. In fact, Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. And he promised that If the world hated him, then the world's going to hate us as well. He said that we will suffer. And so picking up a cross represents suffering, but it also represents sacrifice. Jesus willingly picked up his cross and died in our place. He sacrificed himself for us. Right? We We are called in our lives to make sacrifices just like him. Right? We're called to sacrifice some of our time in service to other people. We're called to sacrifice some of our talents as we use those gifts to minister to other people. We're, we're called to sacrifice some of our resources for the cause of Christ. And some people are even called to sacrifice their lives. It's happened throughout history. And I can go on and on. And again, we can do a whole sermon series just on that. Right, What it means to suffer and sacrifice But today, and for the purposes of this series, I want to help you to see what picking up your cross daily is generically in the Christian life. It's about really surrender. You see, not long after this, the night before Jesus literally carried his own cross, there was a moment where Jesus lived out this surrender. 
In all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it records the same story. And we pick it up in Matthew chapter 22. And it reads, Then Jesus went out from them to the place of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus was dreading what was going to happen to him. Let's just be really clear. Jesus in his humanity was dreading what was about to happen. Verse 39 says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, let's do it some other way if we can. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if this, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In this story, we see that Jesus, being fully God, knows exactly what's about to happen. But being fully man, he was dreading what was about to happen because he knows his suffering is at hand. And he knows it was going to be horrific. Physically, it was going to be horrific. But more importantly, what he understood, not just the physical aspect, because people can bravely face physical torture. The thing that he knew was about to happen was the sins of the world were about to be cast upon him and the awful and terrible wrath of God that we all deserve is going to be poured out on him. He knew what that meant. He was going to be punished for the sins of the world, a prospect that none of us wants to face. We don't want to even face the prospect of being punished for our own sins. And he knew this was the will of the Father. He knew that this was the plan because this was the plan of redemption for all eternity. But yet he was sorrowful and he was dreading this. In fact, Luke says that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In this moment, he asked the father if there was any other way. Is there any other way for this to happen? Jesus' desire as a man was to find another solution. But in this moment of distress, in this moment of anguish and great dread, Jesus surrenders his will to the Father. Jesus said, not as I will, but as you will. Let your will be done. Taking up your cross is about surrendering your life to God. It's about surrendering your will to his will. It's about accepting God's will for your life over your own. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you need to say no to yourself and surrender your life to the will of God. And then follow me. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. We are to say no to ourselves and yes to God. We are to surrender our will to him. Even when it's hard. Even when it's painful, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs us something, even when it costs us everything. We are to live in a way that says, not as I will, but as you will. If we're going to be followers of Christ who, who walk in close personal relationship with him, 
then we need to deny ourselves and daily pick up that cross and surrender our will to God and get busy following Jesus, following where he leads us. Now, we have pushed off our discussion of global missions and we have talked about crossing the threshold today because this, there is something that you and I need to face and that is, it is God's will for your life It is God's will for your life to be on mission, actively making disciples. It is God's will for your life to be on mission in whatever way that he reveals to you, to be on mission, actively making disciples. It is God's will for your life. I mean, we all want to know what God's will for your life. And guess what it is? I can tell you. It's to make disciples. We already know what... The mission of Jesus is. We already know that we've been called that mission. We already know that our part is to make disciples. We already know that God has transformed us and equipped us to do this. We already know what we need to do. We just now need to declare, right, and demonstrate the love of God. We know that we need to share the gospel and love people where they are. We know this. And this is God's will for our lives. Now the question is, will you then Surrender to God's will. That's where we are. And understand, this can be really, really hard. It can be very uncomfortable to talk to people. Understand that loving other people, especially the ones that are different from us, can be hard. I understand the fear of rejection. I do understand it. I understand the fear of people looking at you funny or calling you a hypocrite or becoming belligerent when you share your faith with other people. I understand that you have a lot on your plates. I know that you're all very busy. I understand that you're shy. And this pulls you way, way, way outside your comfort zone. I understand all of those emotions and all of those circumstances. And Jesus himself understands that as well. But Jesus says, you are to say no to you. That means no to those emotions. That means no to that fear. That means no to the desire to make excuses. So so no to the desire to simply sit there and say, I don't care what that preacher said, I ain't doing it. Jesus says no to yourself. And pick up your cross and surrender yourself and your life to, to God and his will. And follow where Jesus is leading you. And he is leading you to do your part for the mission of Christ. So it's time to surrender. It is time to cross the threshold and say, yes, Lord. It is time to say, not my will, but yours be done. Now, we've touched on this before. But it is time to take action. It's time to move forward. It's time to stop planning and stop thinking It's time to start moving forward, and today is the day for that. Will you or will you not surrender to your will to God's will? Will you or will you not jump all in? Now, we've asked this question for four weeks in a row, but today I want to help you, and I want to give you four practical steps that you can, in your own life, where you are, Four practical steps that you can take to take action. And I'm not talking about you turning into Billy Graham and going on a crusade somewhere. 
I'm not talking about you getting a bunch of tracks and walking around your neighborhood knocking on the door and, and, and stuffing them in your, in your neighbor's face. I'm not talking about that. I want you to do four simple things that we all can do, we all should be doing. Number one is make a short list of three people that you know who are not in Christ. Because the reality is if we all know three people, that we can pretty much cover just about everyone around us. Make a list of three people that you know that are not in Christ. And, I'm, and I know that you know some of them. You probably know a lot more than three. But three people who are not Christians. And write their names down. Right? The next thing I want you to do is, is make a list of three people that you know to be Christians, but for some reason or whatever, that they're just not plugged in the church and they're not you know, being effective for the, for the kingdom of God. People that you know that have made a profession of faith and you've seen some of the fruit in their life, but for some reason they're disconnected from the church, whether it's church hurt or whatever, they just got busy. There are people around you who profess faith that you know that need to be plugged in. Now, once you have your list, this is the, this is the doing part of it. I want you to pray. You see, oftentimes we make a list and then we want to go, okay, now I need to go and get... No, you need to start where we all need to start, on our knees before God. And pray that God would prepare their hearts, that he would go before you preparing their hearts, and that God would give you guidance and open the way for you to have that conversation. Because if you go in your own strength, you're just going to mess it up. Pray that God would open their hearts and pray that God would give you guidance. And then here's the thing, right? You need to pray for these people and you need to pray for this guidance consistently. Every day it needs to be a part of your life. Just as much as you pray for the food that you're about to eat, you need to be praying for the people that are on your list. Lord, change their hearts. Give me a chance to share the gospel. Lord, help them to get plugged into Christ. Help me to invite them to church. Right? And here's the thing then. Now that we've done all the theoretical stuff of steps one through three, now is when you need to cross the threshold and actually do it and walk in faith. We need to take action and show them the love of Christ, which means those people on that list are people you need to be regularly trying to find a way to con- connect with and, and build relationships with. Find a way to serve them. Find a way to engage them. We need to begin to have a conversation about Christ and fellowshipping in the church. We need to become intentional getting involved in making disciples. One of the things that we know is that there are parts of our lives that will not change unless we actively do something and make it a regular part of our life habitually. This is where we need to take action. And again, see, now you can take a deep breath. I didn't ask you to go with me to the Antelope Valley Mall and for us to walk up and down with sandwich boards. You know what I mean? I'm just asking you to do what you can normally do in your everyday life, which is to love and pray for the people that are around you. And then when God gives you that opportunity to lovingly share with them the good news of Christ. So it's time to to no longer be a hearer only, but to be a doer. It's time for us all to be all in. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.